Welcome to No Content Radio. Mike Apendroff here. <laughs> All right. Welcome to No Compost Radio. Uh, welcome to No Clue Radio. You can email me, Mike at NoCompromiseRadio.com. Quite a few people have emailed me. We'll start off the show today with one of those emails. But before we do, what do we have for announcements? Gospel Assurance, both the 31-Day and the 31-Day Guide. Sorry, I can't even talk. I don't even know my own books. It's hard to keep up with books that you didn't write but have your name on them. (laughs) The 31-Day Guide is the bigger one, the original one. A 31-Day Devotional is a smaller one-page one. So you can order those on Amazon. Working on an updated sexual fidelity. Trying to do some parenting stuff, maybe a little book on parenting. And uh, what else? Colossians by S. Lewis Johnson is out. Great little commentary. You'll find it useful uh, whether you're a layperson, a Bible teacher, or a pastor. All right. What else? Hopefully I'll be in Tennessee in November based on the medicine I'm taking for the leukemia and the chemotherapy and all that. I, I was kind of hoping they'd say you'd lose weight and lose your hair because I end up shaving my legs for bicycling and all that other stuff. And I just, that would save it. Remember the first time I uh, thought about, well, all right, if I'm going to be a cyclist, this is like 15 years ago, I'm going to have to shave my legs. And swimmers shave their bodies because of, you know, they want to glide through the water faster. Uh, bicyclists... Like the great guys, they shave their legs because massages that they get. And, of course, the road rash heals faster. Well, I tried Nair the first time <laughs> all over my legs. <laughs> that was 15 years ago, and I haven't tried Nair since, but it burned. It didn't even, didn't even take care of the hair. It just burned my skin. I don't know what I was thinking. That's probably how I got leukemia, <laughs> allegedly. Just a kid. No, I'm just kidding. About the leukemia part. I'm not kidding about the nair was burning. All right. How, how do we get on these subjects? Sometimes we just we just never know how we get on these subjects. Well, it's the end of the show already. <laughs> I just sitting here by myself and laugh. And just sit and wave, sitting on that sack and see, sack of seeds. Remember that Jim Stafford song? Here's a letter I received, an email. We have the dearest, sweetest pastor, and we love him. This is not about me. (laughs) But his preaching is more like a glorified Bible study. From the pulpit, he teaches us how to outline a chapter, how many times a Greek word appears in the New Testament, what Calvin or James Boyce had to say about a passage, etc. He doesn't, quote, bring Christ, end quote. I love all the things he teaches us, but I need to be reminded that I'm forgiven, that Christ loves me, that I will not lose my salvation despite my remaining sin, the way to the cross, etc. What can I say to my pastor, if anything? I would never want to hurt his feelings, as it is apparent that he spends a lot of time preparing his sermons. Thanks for any advice. But cried when I read that. Partly because I think that's how I would often teach in the past. Partly because I'm sad to hear people have to sit under that. What would you say? How would you respond? More important than what you say or would say 
If you're listening today and you're a Christian, do you need to be reminded that you're forgiven? Do you need to be reminded that Jesus loves you? How often do you need to be reminded that you can't lose your salvation in spite of your remaining sin and your struggles with disobedience? How often? How often do you think you need that? Well, that's why I think you need to sit underneath the weekly preaching of the gospel. Ordinary means. Preaching as a means of grace. Weekly preaching of the gospel. We can talk another time about how often we should have communion, but for right now, the preaching of the gospel, you need that, don't you, Christian? Don't you need to be reminded of that? And when I say gospel, of course, if I synthesized it down, the gospel is about Jesus. And of course, when I say Jesus, it's he's the, he's the begotten son, and he's sent by the unbegotten father, and the father and the son together uh, from them proceed the spirit. So when I talk about one member of the Trinity, I'm not excluding the others because when you think of the one, you think of the three, you think of the three, you think of the one. So that's not a factor. The gospel is about Jesus. Jesus loves Christians with an everlasting love. He loves you. If Jesus loved you when you were an enemy, when you were an unbeliever, do you think he loves you less now? When you're a friend, when you're adopted? Think about it. Jesus needs to be proclaimed to Christians. You need to be reminded of the price paid for your salvation. You, you need to be reminded that the Spirit of God dwells in you and you can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. I mean, what are the other options? What are the other sin cleansers that are out there? I think of today's society. Lots of times people think sacrifice gets rid of their sins. And of course, they're, they're, they're kind of right in the one sense. Sacrifice is needed. But I'm talking about sacrifice like you give up something for Lent. Where I live, there's still a big fish Friday hangover. It's okay to have fish on Friday now if you're Roman Catholic, but people are still going out to eat fish on Friday because they're so used to it. I have a little fish place down the street I like to go to. Two little places, actually. But Fridays are always bad days because it'll just be more crowded because people are there for the fish Fridays. What else do you have to sacrifice to give up sins? Mm, maybe money. You do good things, um, benevolent things, philanthropic things. Maybe you give up time. You sacrifice time. I sacrifice time doing something for other people at the homeless shelter or the soup kitchen, and therefore it's fine. Or maybe the ultimate sacrifice, you, you die and you think you're going to go to heaven, right? Uh, how, do you, you know, how do you get to heaven? Well, you, you just die. We need a clean slate uh, when it comes to our sins. We need something more than a clean slate. We actually need obedience, clean slate and obedience. I, I saw a list written by someone, and I kind of changed it a little bit or cut and pasted some. It's like the, the alphabet of depravity, alienated from God, Blind, corrupt, darkened, evil, foolish, going astray. Had to kind of force that one a little bit. Hateful, impenitent. I mean, there's A through I. We could probably keep going. Sin is so awful because it's against a thrice holy God. One God, 
um, three persons to sin against when one God, when the God has sinned against. Uh, there, there is punishment. Wage of sin is death. We need a Savior. And again, we don't just need to be forgiven, but we need to be obedient. So I've been working through the gospel of Jesus according to Luke. And the, the refrain there in chapter 2, verses 21 and following, is Jesus' under law, right? Galatians 4, he's born a woman, born under law, that he might redeem us uh, because we're under the law. And so everything in this section is about Jesus, the law keeper. And I've talked about it on the show before, but I just want to keep hammering this regarding the obedience of Jesus and how it's necessary. It's not simply Jesus dies for your sins, but he lives for your obedience. And that's some very critical thing, because if you think of the law, there's a positive side to keep the law, and there's reward. And there's a negative side if you disobey the God, <laughs> and you disobey the law, there's a penalty positive precept and, and penalty. And that's how you should be thinking of the law. And God told Adam to obey. And of course, his disobedience was covered. But he, Adam, also still needed to obey. But he was fallen. He couldn't do it. And so we need the last Adam who could obey where the first Adam didn't. The first Adam disobeys in a garden. Uh, the last Adam, Jesus, obeys in the wilderness and on the way to Calvary his entire life. Luke 2.22, law. 2.23, law. Luke 2.24, law. Luke 2.27, law. Luke 2.39, law. There's the word law used there five times just in this little section of Luke chapter 2. More than all the other times used in the entire gospel of Jesus according to Luke. And you ought to be thinking to yourself, we better have the perfect Israelite to be the redeemer. I could put it this way. Would Jewish people think that an uncircumcised person could be the Redeemer, the Messiah, Mashiach? I, I think the answer would be no. And remember those ceremonies that you see in, in Luke chapter 2? Even before Jesus is able to uh, mentally be able to figure out, I need to obey the law, even when he's a child, he is under the law and God has so ordained that even his parents understand we need to make sure he's circumcised on the eighth day, according to Genesis chapter 17. And at the end of eight days, he's circumcised. And that's when they call him Jesus. Just like after John the Baptist circumcision, he gets his name. Same thing here, naming ceremony, circumcision. And he, Jesus, is the perfect Jew. He's the perfect Israelite. Yes, he's the perfect man. Circumcision, of course, for Jesus uh, was this external right? He didn't need to have his heart circumcised. Remember, that's what circumcision physically was pointing to, is an inner, a need for a, a spiritual cleansing, an inner cleansing. Of course, that would be happening at salvation. But you have to have the perfect lawkeeper. So God and his great sovereign plan, we even have parents that make sure that there's nothing going to disqualify our Lord Jesus because we need him as a perfect lawkeeper. All right, let's push a little bit. Uh, would the Jews accept an uncircumcised Messiah? The answer is 
that I just said earlier, it's still true even now, two minutes later, no. They would think he is an uncircumcised Philistine. That's what they would think, right? The uncircumcised Philistine. Ever thought of this? Luke is showing you that Jesus is better than Moses. What in the world, you say? Jesus is better than Moses? Really? You belong in the circus, Spock. Right next to the dog-faced boy. (laughs) Jesus is better than Moses. How? Did you know Moses broke this law as a parent? Right? His own son, he didn't circumcise him, circumcise him until Zipporah flipped out, as it were, and took the flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. That's in Exodus chapter 4. If the parents of Jesus making sure that he is going to do the right thing, law fulfilled, identification with sinners. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everything is because he's, he's identifying with sinners. He's the last Adam. He's the, he's the representative man. Adam was supposed to keep the law, didn't keep it. Jesus comes into the world to keep the law and, of course, bear the curse of lawbreakers for all those who would ever believe. And whether it's the purification ceremony that, that Mary and Jesus had to go through, whether it is... Uh, the presentation ceremony uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 23. Remember, you're going to have a baby. You're, you're going to have a baby, and the baby's a son, and you're not from the tribe of Levi, and you still owe the baby to God. Uh, this is language of Passover, where the firstborn was spared, and you give that baby to the, to the Lord in temple worship. But if you want to keep him at home, of course, you'd have to keep him at home if he wasn't of the right tribe, then you pay a five shekel redemption price to redeem him from temple service. And so Jesus, the redeemer, was actually redeemed. Not not because of sin stuff, just redeemed out of ministry in the temple as a Levite priest because Jesus wasn't a Levite. He was a priest according to Melchizedek, of course, in a different order, uh, see Genesis, but also... Uh, He's from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What's my point? Jesus is under law. Law, law, law. He's born under law, and I want you to keep your eye on the ball. When you're looking at Luke and the other gospel accounts, Jesus is the law keeper. Adam is the law breaker. Jesus is the law keeper. Obedience required. Obedience is important to God. The creator expects his creation to obey. The God who made you expects you to obey. God's laws are to be kept. God's standards are to be lived up to. Obedience is not an option. Mike is so antinomian, isn't he? (laughs) What a... (laughs) I know, social media, it's a madhouse, is it not? And the thing is, once we sin, 
you know, since God requires perfection, how does that work out? So we're supposed to be perfect. We sin one time. We're less than perfect. We're imperfect. How do you, as one man said, fix imperfection? You can't. You need the perfect man, Jesus, to have his perfect law-keeping credited to your account and your law-breaking, my law-breaking, credited to his account. You need a human law-keeper, perfectly, entirely, exactly, perpetually, be as perfect as your Heavenly Father's perfect, and you need a federal representative. No wonder. This is such an awesome passage, referring back to, back to Psalm 40. Hebrews 10, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, what'd you say when you came into the world? When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he had said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified or set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If there would have been total obedience by Adam, no sacrifice needed. That's why when we say to obey is better than sacrifice, right? Our sacrifices ordained by God uh, yes, is the ultimate sacrifice, the most wonderful thing, the Lord Jesus, yes. But if you just think back, there would be no sacrifice needed if somebody would just obey, right? And even the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't for himself because he did obey. It was for others. And Jesus says, behold, I have come. Well, the first Adam didn't work out. Cain didn't work out, Noah didn't work out, David didn't work out, and the list goes on and on and on. Unlike the first Adam, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Let's talk about this a little bit more. This is kind of fun. My name is Mike Abendroth, No Compromise Radio. I don't know what else I have here. I don't know, something something scary? I need some new new sound effects. I think so. This these things like this don't really don't really I don't like that at all. Ten Commandments. Did Jesus fulfill the Ten Commandments? Did he obey the Ten Commandments? Let's, let's just go down the list and just talk about it a little bit. This will be fun. Ten Commandments found in Scripture, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, if memory serves. By the way, those are imprinted in my mind. And I don't even know if old age will get rid of those. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. That's just part of seminary testing. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Psalm 2, Psalm 110. You know, there's just certain chapters, they're just locked in, rightfully so. Ten commandments. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And just think about the Lord Jesus. No other gods. Glorified the Lord, God the Father, trusted him, condemned idolatry. I'd say the answer is yes, wouldn't you? Second commandment, 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. No idols. No false worship. Giving God all the glory. Sounds good to me. (laughs) I mean, I'm speechless. Did Jesus obey the second commandment? Yes. Third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Did Jesus speak any words that would dishonor uh, the Father? Did he speak any words uh, that would somehow take God's name in vain? Or, Or was he the truth teller? Was he the God glorifier with his words? And of course, we can tell what's in the heart because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Yeah, but he did things on the Sabbath, you say. Uh, Works of mercy and necessity, yes. Lord of the Sabbath. Gains our eternal Sabbath at, at Calvary. How about the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Did he honor his father and mother? Yes. Everything he did was pleasing to the Father. And on the cross, what does he do? Behold your, your mother. He makes sure his mother's taken care of. His stepfather, Joseph, is probably deceased. Sixth commandment, you shall not murder. I mean, the negative side of these commandments don't exclude the positive application of them. So if you don't murder, it should talk about life. And when you think about life, how about the physical life that he he healed people he raised people from the dead that's that's pretty big for physical life uh, and not only that there's something more important than physical health spiritual health seventh commandment you shall not commit adultery did jesus in any way shape or form have any negative thoughts any kind of thought about a woman that he ought not to have the answer is no never sinned never sinned and you can look at a woman and think she's pretty or beautiful or she's nice looking or whatever you want to say. Uh, but for us, that's immediately slipping into and it's a temptation and it's often, I don't mean every time, I'm not saying that. It's often in the man's eyes going bad places, right? That's why we try to teach our sons. I try to teach my son. I try to do it myself. It's the second look that usually gets you in trouble. I mean, how can you not look the first time, right? You're just going to live in a monastery or something. So you look at a lady, and it's the second time. It's the lingering look that turns often into lurid looks and lurid feelings. And the Lord Jesus, of course, never did any of that. Of course, physically, We know he died a virgin. He was not married. It's not a sin to get married. His bride, though, was the church. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. I mean, Judas was the thief. It certainly wasn't Jesus. Jesus was the one who was rich and became poor that in our poverty we might become rich, spiritually speaking, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Ninth Commandment, bear false witness against your neighbor. I mean, he speaks what the Father gives him. So then you say to yourself, then that Father would be bearing false witness as well, or Jesus is lying, and now he's bearing false witness. 
Now, this is not technically don't lie, but to bear false witness against your neighbor is going to, going to include a lie. And Jesus spoke properly all the time. He spoke the truth in love. Tenth commandment, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. No covet. No coveting, even though he owned everything. Wow. Divine side, divine nature, owns everything. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the one who we look to for our standing before God. I think about that letter that I received again. Don't you need to be reminded that Jesus loves you? He loved you by keeping the law and by dying for your sins. And that's why when you start thinking about yourself only, I'm not saying you can't ever look at yourself in a subjective manner to see if the Holy Spirit is working in your life or not, and are there fruits and evidences of the Holy Spirit working in your life. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying that's your first thought, but that's more law-based. Do I have Christian fruit? Uh, Am I faithful? Uh, Do I love God? Do I love neighbor? Do I read my Bible? Do I pray? Do I repent? Do I love Jesus? Of course, those are fine questions. Uh, I just want you to know they're law questions. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Okay, that's just do, right? So then we look at Jesus, and he's the one who kept the law. It wasn't a strict covenant of works, capital C, but it's like a covenant of works where Jesus perfectly obeys. And we we look at him first. If you want assurance, you start with him. Did Jesus obey? Did he finish the work? Did he pray? Did he do everything he was supposed to? And of course, the answer is, oops, that was a mistake. Of course, the answer is, yes, he did. Well, my name is Mike Abendroth. This is No Compromise Radio Ministry. Why am I saying this? Why do I use a demonstrative pronoun when it comes to this? Don't forget, you can email me, mike at nocompromiseradio.com. I'm going to have a few guests on here pretty soon, but right now, no time for guests, coordinating back and forth, everything else. If you think about me, pray for my health. I'd appreciate it. Mike Abendroth, No Compromise Radio Ministry. 